Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russin. One more time, and I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing, friend? Very good today. It's Monday. <laughs> Beginning of the week. Only four Maybe. more days till Friday and your day off. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, this is week five of our podcast series on law and grace. Please check out those earlier podcasts. Uh, we know you're going to like them. Today, we are going to focus on great news the great news that we have been crucified with Christ. But before we can understand how great that news is, we want to remind you of our topic last week, the very bad news about our death in Adam. And we chatted last time that death reigned through Adam. We saw that from Romans 5. And so in Adam, all died, 1 Corinthians 15. That's really bad news, Frank, because you said last time, I don't have to commit a sin to become a sinner. I was born one. I sinned because I was born that way. So if I'm an Adam, all I can really do is minister to give or serve death to everyone and everything. And man, that is a bleak picture, my friend, isn't it? Yes, John, it really is. I think what the church has done to its detriment is focused on the acts of sin instead of the cause of the sin, kind of working on the symptoms instead of the disease. And that's why so many people never really enter into the understanding of what the gospel is really all about, and therefore fail to understand the freedom that Jesus came to bring. He didn't just treat the symptoms, you know, all those different sins we've committed. He treated the disease. And that's what we're going to get to talk about today. And I am just so excited to delve into the glory of what the gospel is really all about. We're going to have a great time. Oh, indeed we are, my friend. And focusing on the source of sin, I want to remind our listeners that because the man and the woman ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they plunged their entire existence, and so our entire existence, into an existence of law, not mosaic law necessarily, but just the principle of law, that we're going to do what's right in our own eyes. And we learned from 2 Corinthians 3 that what does the law do? It kills and condemns. So if we're ministering out of the principle of law, we have no choice to kill and condemn those around us. It's who we are. It's identity. Man, no wonder, Frank, the world is a mess. But Enough bad news. Time for some good news today, my friend. There's a solution, isn't there, for this death in Adam. Romans 5, 17 tells us much more. But, Frank, much more what? (laughs) I think that no matter how bad the bad news is, the good news is ever greater. That's one aspect. I think the second aspect is that it's so much greater 
it blows our minds because of the abundance of grace that God provides and the resurrection from the dead that God's God provides. And, and he's a, no matter how bad life is, God has promised uh, to bring beauty out of ashes, to bring uh, life out of death, to give us a, a garland of praise to replace the mourning and the grieving, uh, to give us a double portion that the locusts have eaten. This is the stated ethic, if you will, that comes from the character of God in both Old and New Testaments. We have a much more God. And that's just, it's so much fun to be able to delve into that today. My mind goes back, my friend, to a time in my past, many years ago, as I was newly married. And my wife and I were attending a church. And at that time in my life, I suffered with hay fever pretty badly. So I went up for prayer. And a person who uh, had a gift of healing, so to speak, laid hands on me and prayed for me. And then two days later, my allergies were just as bad as they were before. So I went to see my pastor. What's going on? I thought I was healed. Why are these allergies still back? And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, John, you've got to pray more. You've got to read your Bible more. You've got to fast more or else you risk the devil stealing your healing. And that was a crippling thing to say to a young believer because it put the sole burden for my healing on my shoulders. Well, my friend, I know now that that's not true, but that's not the much more that Paul talks about in Romans 5. He talks about abundance of grace and a free gift of righteousness, which was nowhere near what this pastor told me that I was going to get. Yeah, that's the mistake that so many people are making, John. You referenced it earlier, that the entire world lives under law. Now that Again, you said that's not necessarily the Ten Commandments, but the principle of law. That tree was the tree of good and evil. It was the tree of right and wrong. It's the tree of doing the right thing, not doing the wrong thing. The tree of method, rules, standards, principles. And whenever you have that kind of an economy, the focus is ultimately going to be not on what you do, it's going to be on you uh, because you're the one who's responsible for the doing. And this new covenant that Jesus has brought us totally and completely removes us from that economy and puts it back where it needs to be on the God who does the much more. So it's not us trying to acquire anymore. It's us really trying to receive uh, because it's so fantastic, so incredible, it's, it's hard to believe. Our struggle now is going to be believing God that the gospel can really be that amazing and he can be really that overwhelmingly good. A totally foreign way to approach things. And unfortunately, so many in the ministry have not understood this, so they continue to heap more on us instead of referencing the more that God has accomplished. And that's really a, a sad state. It puts 
bondage on me and instead of the freedom Jesus came to bring. Yes, indeed. I'm not a scholar. I don't speak Greek, but I could put my hands on a lot of resources that can help me translate. And I want to spend just a moment and tell our listeners what I learned about that word that's translated receive there in, uh, in Romans 5, 17. Receive the abundance of grace and receive the free gift of righteousness. That word receive doesn't really capture the true meaning. It comes from a root word, which means to actively and aggressively lay hold or take or aggressively accept what is available. It focuses, this is really neat, Frank. It focuses on the will of the receiver choosing to reach out and aggressively grab what is offered. Now, that really changes the focus of that verse, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. I love that, John. It's, it's almost like uh, God has done everything. We know that from 2 Peter 1. In Christ, we've been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, we have to believe it. You know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking of that verse out of Hebrews, labor to enter into the rest. In other words, it's almost so good to be true. It's hard work to put aside the achieving that we've done all our lives and instead grit your teeth and be a receiver. You know, I think the reason it's so hard is one, we're not used to doing that. Uh, remember that's that old commercial years ago for a brokerage firm. And it said, we do it the old fashioned way. We earn it. And that's the way so many people approach Jesus. And, and so it's, it's hard work to rest. It's hard work to believe. It stings our pride uh, to say, you know what? It's not about what I do. It's, it's about what he's done. If I could, John, one more thought. The the picture that came into my mind as you were reading that definition was of a bunch of little kids around a pinata. And when the one child finally swats that pinata and breaks it open, and this torrent of candy comes pouring down, you know, the little kids all scramble to grab it up. And, and that's kind of the picture that came to my mind. God has broken the pinata. Now scramble and go lay hold of, of what he's given us. That, that's what came to my mind. Wow, that's a great picture. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to think about because that's not the response you get in many contemporary churches in our country today. And I don't really understand why. I suspect it's because uh, most pastors and most people still, still mingle the covenants. And maybe one day that'll be the topic for a future podcast, the mingling of the covenants, old and new. But many sincere believers don't really grasp the meaning of that verse. So it's possible, and that indeed very likely, that they just don't understand. And so because they don't understand, they don't recognize it, and they just by default, choose not to receive it because they, they've never been taught. Now, you've been a pastor for decades, my friend. How common have you seen that situation? If we could probably use the word, it's pandemic. I don't want to take away from the COVID. 
But that is probably the number one battle that I have when I go and teach a conference and I, I teach people who they are in Christ. They're able to lay hold of that concept pretty readily. But when we teach the economy of grace, that's when the circuits blow. That's when people uh, start to question. That's when they start to struggle. We've lived under law so much that it's just hard to understand the heavenly gifted economy of grace. John, if you think about it, you're performing at work to get the job done, to get the raise, the promotion. You're performing in school to get the A. Uh, mom and dad say, be a little, a good little boy or a good little girl, and I'll give you an ice cream. And of course, Santa Claus, the probably the supreme one. Have you been naughty or nice? Because I'm checking the list. And so very many people really worship a God who's in the image of Santa Claus. And it's just such a tragedy. Uh, they, they miss this economy. It's a struggle. It's, and again, that's why I think Hebrews says you have to labor to enter into this economy of receiving. It's hard work to say no to this performing and acquiring that you've done all your life and humble yourself and just say thank you to what God has done. That really gives us some insight, my friend, into why Paul prays those seemingly odd prayers that he prays in Ephesians, that we have the power not to do or to build or accomplish or assemble or lead but we have the power to understand and to know and to know experientially and there to live out of that knowledge. That's really different from most of the prayers that people pray, isn't it? In fact, John, it's, it's revolutionary. You know, when people pray for power, they're always asking for strength to do something. Give me the strength to be patient with my kids. Give me the strength to, to not, uh, flip off that guy that just cut in front of me on the interstate. You know, it's always for power to do. And there's this revolutionary concept, praying for the power to understand, to comprehend. And it's not isolated. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2, that whole passage talks about the Holy Spirit, you know, teaching us, opening our eyes to what we've already freely been given. And, you know, the, the, implication of that is that as Christians, the moment you put your faith in Christ, you already have everything you need. You already have every spiritual blessing, but you can miss what you have. You may walk not understanding all that you've been given, and that is a tragedy. So that is, in fact, the way I pray. It's the way I pray when I do a conference for the people in attendance. It's the way I pray for the people at Grace Life Church. In fact, often I'll go in the auditorium and pray that prayer. It's the way I pray for my kids. Father, grant the power of your Holy Spirit to open the eyes so that we can understand what we've already been given. But if you don't open our eyes, we might not understand it. And we'll be spiritual millionaires continuing to live as spiritual paupers. 
and that's just tragic. Yes, it is. Now, there's nothing wrong, listeners, there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with taking every care, every concern you have to Father. It's on your heart. He wants you to bring your burdens to him. But you know, there's another prayer that we should add to that long list, and that is for understanding. And Father, I want to pray that right now for me, for Frank, and for all of our listeners, that they would turn to you and that you would open the eyes of their understanding to see exactly who you are, what you've done for them, and to see who they are in you. Please, sir, please make it so. So now we're beginning to see, my friend, once we uh, understand the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness that he's given to us, how it's possible for us to really live the big five, as I call it, the five big promises of Jesus. Joy, peace, rest, abundant life, and knowing the truth that brings freedom. But many Christians don't experience these, and so they go through life either thinking Jesus lied, or maybe the truth is, my friend, that the church is just missing the full gospel. Because I spent many years in churches where a gospel presentation dealt with sin, it dealt with hell, it dealt with Jesus, it dealt with heaven, it dealt with my repentance, and that's where it stopped. It's almost like it was just an effort to get me out of hell only. What do you got to say about that? Oh, my friend, I think you are really on to something. You know, the way the gospel is presented, the way it was taught to me, the way I found Christ was, Frank, you've sinned and you're going to hell. But if you can receive Jesus right now by faith, his blood will wash away all your sin and you will be forgiven and you can go to heaven someday. And that's what I was taught. And that's how I found Christ. And if that's the gospel, you know, all it really does is make the gospel an issue of a destination. Uh, it's a get out of hell free card. Uh, but you know, I began to question in my own life, well, if that's all the gospel is, what's going to happen in the meantime? And the problem is, in the meantime, it's going to be a meantime. Still, I'm still fighting Satan. I'm still fighting a fallen world. I've still got these temptations that come that I succumb to because I'm really left now trying to live the Christian life, trying to live like Jesus did. And, you know, we even had a big movement in the 1990s. What would Jesus do? WWJD. And this whole thing is set up where I try to be like Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's so sad because the light has gone off enough to show us that we need Jesus to get into heaven. But the light hasn't gone on enough to show us that, you know, that methodology is still the economy of the fall. It's still us trying to be like God, but now we're doing it in the name of Jesus as if it's something that's admirable to do. And there's got to be a better answer to that. Uh, Jesus is not just interested in bringing us to heaven someday. He wants to bring heaven into us right now. Well, most churches, well, maybe not most churches, many churches 
will tend to focus on uh, on Jesus as we use the phrase uh, last time we chatted, fire insurance. Well, if heaven is a, just a destination, as you just said, then that makes Jesus <laughs> a little more than just a travel agent. Mm. But, uh, you know, as you said it so clearly, what about the hell we face daily? You know, we're not going to hell, but what about today's hell? Problems, failures, disappointments, unmet expectations, my goodness. My sins, your sins, the sins of others around us. Uh, the two-step gospel just doesn't address those. And you see all these people with T-shirts and signs, Jesus is the answer. Well, okay, what's the question? Jesus saves. Jesus cures. Okay, he saves us from what? He cures us from what? You know, you all know out there that uh, you've got to identify the disease correctly before we can get a cure. Ask your doctor about the importance of diagnosis. We've already seen the disease. We're dead in Adam. We are the disease. And so when you understand that, then you can begin to understand why Paul addresses the cure in Romans 3 about being baptized into his death. Frank, what's going on with this phrase, baptized into his death? This is the heart of the gospel. Paul couldn't get to that church at Rome. It's the church we know that was not founded by an apostle. So some third, fourth, fifth generation Christian brought the gospel to Rome and a church was founded. And Paul wanted to get there. And he said in Romans 1 to share the gospel with them. Well, they're already Christians. What's he talking about? Well, you know, by the time we get to the founding of the church of Rome, about 30 years have gone by, 25 years. And you know that old telephone game. This one tells this one, tells that one. And by the end, time to get to the end of the line, the message has been tweaked a little bit. And I believe with all my heart, that's what was happening in Rome. And I think now we've had 2,000 years for the message to be tweaked. So Romans 6 becomes one of the key passages of the New Testament. You've got to love the way the King James introduces it. Know ye not. The New American Standard is probably more clear. Don't you know, when you hear that phrase, the implication is very clear. You're supposed to know something, but you don't. So what we're about to read is two plus two equals four. ABCs in terms of our Christian understanding. And he says, do you not know that we've been baptized with Jesus? And the sad thing there is that our translators transliterated and put the Greek word baptizo instead of translating. If we translate it, I think we begin to understand. Don't you know that you've been immersed into Jesus? And because you've been immersed into Jesus, you've been immersed into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Simply put, Whatever happened to Jesus happened to you. When he died on the cross, you died on the cross. When he was buried, you were buried. And when he resurrected out of that grave, you too resurrected out of that grave. Now, John, here's the key. I spent all my life going to church because I had to. When I went, People taught me that Jesus rose 2,000 years ago. They taught me that because of my faith in him, 
one day in the future after I've died, I will be resurrected. But no one ever taught me that I had already been resurrected in him. And verse 6 of chapter 6, he spells it out. Our old man, our old nature, everything that was wrong about me, the part of me that was wrong, the part of me that wanted to rebel against God, that old Ezekiel 36 puts it, that old stony heart, it was put on the cross, executed, buried, and resurrected. Brand new. I'm a brand new creation, and so are you. That old stony heart was taken away, and we've been given a new heart, a new spirit. And that happened so the Holy Spirit could now live inside of us. He made us right so the righteous one himself could live in you and me. And that great glory of 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We have been made righteous, not declared righteous, made righteous. And that is the great glory. He killed us and he had to because we were the cancer that was causing all those symptoms of sin. Oh, John, what a, what a glorious, glorious message. I'm going to add a few verses to what you just said, my friend. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, she or he is a brand new creation. Philippians 3, we are righteous by faith. Romans 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And so all these statements about our righteous identity are plastered all over the New Testament. And still we have a trouble seeing, which is why Jesus said in John 16 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to have a job. And one of those jobs is to convict the world of righteousness. Unless the Holy Spirit shows you plainly, you're going to not believe this. You're going to miss it which goes back to that discussion of the word receive. He's holding the truth out to you. Will you take it and will you make it yours? Oh, John, can I add one more verse that just sure. my Go brain? Ahead. I, was, I was listening to you. Um, again, this is what God has done that we need to receive. News, good news, news is not a verb. It's not something we have to go do. And yet so many people think, you hear these phrases, I need to die to myself. No, you've already died. <laughs> uh, Colossians 3, 3 and 4. For you are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Crucifixion is a form of death that you cannot do to yourself. If you hammer one hand into that cross and then put the hammer in the other hand, you're not gonna be able to hammer the other hand. It has to be done to you. And God did it. 
the only thing left for us to do is believe it. Lay hold of it. Say, I believe you, God, that I was crucified. And then don't stop there. Buried and then resurrected. Wonderful. You know, many of our believers struggle with this, my friend, because they take the truth of Scripture and then they compare it to their own lives. And Galatians 5 is very clear. Uh, we can either walk after the flesh and do some very heinous things, in fact, be indistinguishable from a non-believer, or we can walk after the Spirit. And then we get all the fruit of the Spirit. Sin is a choice. Believing is a choice. And here I've got one more as we wrap up, one more thought I want to share with our listeners. And this goes back to the thought that many people believe that they still have two natures, an old nature and a new nature, which explains why they are still struggling with sin. Here you go. We're in Christ. And according to Hebrews chapter 10, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So where are we? Well, you can put two and two together to make four, but you don't have to because Ephesians 2 tells us where we are. We're seated in heaven. Now, I don't understand that, but I sure believe it because it says something really great about me. And here's what it says. If you go back to Psalms 5, you'll read these words. Evil does not dwell with God. Now, if that verse is true, is there any evil in God's presence? Well, the answer is no. And if I'm in God's presence right now in Christ, is there any evil in me? Well, the answer is no. I am not an old nature, new nature hybrid. I'm simply a saint who, if he chooses to, can set his mind to sin. And when I do, I can appear indistinguishable from a non-believer. Or if I set my mind on life and truth, I can walk in the spirit and I'll have a wonderful, peaceful, fruit-filled life. That's the bottom line, my friend. Any final thoughts? That's what the New Testament is all about. We now have life and we have the opportunity simply walking by faith to experience that life and then to express that life. You talked earlier about uh, it's a universal law. We can only give what we have. In Adam, we gave death. Now we can give life. What an incredible thought. You know, years ago, when we first entered into this understanding and chose to believe God, that we have been crucified, buried, resurrected, and actually seated in heaven right now on our way to heaven. I don't know, like you, I don't understand it, but I believe it. My wife said to me, you know, we are the real grateful dead. <laughs> and I think the thought behind that is knowing this truth. We are thankful beyond measure, stunned by this incredible grace and finished work of Christ. And it's only really stunned people who will worship. And we are the real grateful dead. That's a great thought, especially to a couple of old hippies such as we. <laughs> uh, and I want to remind our listeners as we wrap this up, 
to receive what's yours. And remember what that word means, to actively and aggressively take hold and accept what's handed out to you. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And don't forget to check us out on social media platforms under the name Our Resolute Hope and on our website at OurResoluteHope.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.